0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the less doing podcast. And this is episode 200. Wow. Um, I I did something really big and special for episode 100. And I, I got I got close to 200 this time. And I was like, Oh, it's Yeah, that's good. that's exciting. I guess I feel like I've been there. So this is just gonna be a normal episode. Although every episode of the last doing podcast is amazing, right? Ba-dum-bum. So anyway, if you're out and about somewhere and you cannot get to a computer, remember, you can text do less to 33733 to join the less doing newsletter, because that's where we send out all sorts of highlights and interesting updates and cool mentions. And by the way, I hope that your 2016 got off to a great start and you're being more productive than you ever were in 2015. Today's interview is with Jeffrey Miller of Mate. He wrote the book Mate. This is a fairly explicit interview and we're not cursing or anything, but we're definitely talking about things having to do with sex and organs and uh, secretions. So if you are sensitive to that kind of thing, I'm very sorry and maybe you should stop listening as soon as the interview begins because before that I have some links for you. So the first one is that... There is a really cool service called Toki, T-O-K-Y. And I'm not I'm not even sure why I like these services so much, but I do. <laughs> it's basically allows people to call you right from your website. So you can put a little button on your website and you can get a phone call and it will call you in the browser. But this has an integration with Slack, which I really love. So if you want to have a sales button on your webpage or even a support button, people can click that and immediately connect to you by phone through Slack, without ever having to leave Slack. I think that's just so cool. And so I, I, I love it. Okay, then there was a really cool article in Business Insider about a programmer who wrote scripts basically to automate everything in his job, essentially. The guy was working for some company, he was a programmer, and when he left, uh, some of his colleagues looked up his computer, I guess, or I guess he quit, and he had basically scripts and programs for just about everything in his life. Basically, if he was going to be late to work, his system would notice that he had not logged in by 8.45 in the morning and it would automatically send an email to his boss telling him he was sick and it would choose from a, a list of possible responses. If he was still at his computer at 9 p.m., it would text his wife with a different response that would chosen from a list and basically say that he was running late. He even made it so that when he, he for him to hack his coffee machine. So he wrote a script that waited 17 seconds, hacked into the coffee machine and ordered it to start brewing a latte. Then the script told the machine to wait another 24 seconds before pouring the latte into a cup, which was the exact amount of time it took for him to walk from his desk to the coffee machine. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, I mean, this guy is like the, the poster shot for last doing. <laughs> Now, uh, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to check out the Less Doing Wodcast, please do so. Go to lessdoingwodcast.com and get your workout on in less than eight minutes a day. It's the world's first 100% automated podcast and it will get you fit and I love it. And in addition, we also have the Peak Time app, which recently came out, where you can get that in the iTunes store and soon in Android. And it is an app that will teach you or let you identify when your peak time is. And that's that time of day when you are like two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. So that's the less doing Peak Time app. There is a device coming out called the Saffron Drift, which... Well, so basically we all should know at this point how bad blue light is for your sleep because it basically suppresses melatonin and tells your body it's time to be awake. I recommend people wear blue blocking sunglasses, but this is an interesting idea. So basically what this does is it connects to your TV. So it's a it's an intermediary between your cable box and your TV or your DVD player and TV. And this basically does what Flux does for your Mac, where it will gradually make the screen more orange, essentially. It will remove blue from the screen that you're watching in real time, and it will be gradual, so it's sort of like the sun going down. So it's a cool idea. I mean, to me, I still think that wearing the blue blocking sunglasses is the easiest, cheapest hack, and it stops it right at the source. But if you don't want to do that, and you just... Want want to not even think about it this will start to reduce the blue light in the tv by i think over 50 percent. it was saying um over a, a long period so you won't even notice the transition it's a really cool angle that they're taking which i like There is a new plugin for Chrome called Shoppable. It's the Universal Cart. Now, this is a great idea. So basically, I got to this point where if I wasn't buying something on Amazon, I would just send it to my virtual assistant to buy for me because I didn't want to take the time to set up a new account and do all that stuff. This basically is a plugin for Chrome that lets you shop at any store you want and do multiple items from different places. So you could have a... Bottle of perfume from Saks Fifth Avenue and a pair of shoes from Urban Outfitters and a shirt from J Crew and they're all in one cart and then when you're ready you just hit checkout and basically it it, it uses your information and orders from all of those different places without you setting up an account really cool time saver I have to say I like that okay so this is another one that I thought was great it's called the Seven Second Diet and in all the tracking that you can do all the quantified self stuff. Food tracking is still not very good because it requires the most effort for the most part. Uh, You really can't automate it. You can take a picture and maybe have somebody else interpret it, but no matter what, you're talking about identifying the meal that you're eating. So whether you have to identify the calories, the specific food that you're eating, take a picture, whatever it is, it's very annoying and most people don't stick to it. This takes a new approach. So basically what they say is this is meal tracking in seven seconds a day. And all you're doing is basically saying if it's good, meh or bad. So most people can identify if a meal is good for them or bad for them or somewhere in the middle. You know, so if you have hamburger and fries, that's probably, well, it depends, right? If you don't have the, it, it depends where it's from or whatever, but maybe that's a meh. But then you have a, you know, a bulletproof coffee or you have a green smoothie with no sugar in it, whatever it is, that would be good. So basically you're just saying good in the middle, or bad. If you exercise, you denote that you exercise. If you drink a glass of water, you tap a button. If you have an alcoholic drink, you tap a button. And essentially, it'll give you history over the time you use it, and obviously, you want to do more good than bad. And you should see more good meals, more exercise, more water, and less alcoholic beverages associated with a decrease in weight, basically, is how they're showing it. So I really like this. It just takes a very, very simple approach, and you're just trying to eat more good than bad, which I think is great. So that's the second-second diet. Um, And then I got just two more. So this one is that there is a study saying that eating more nuts can improve your diet, but they were saying specifically walnuts may improve your diet overall. And I, I said this before, but I feel like whole nuts are not just a big part of like the American diet you don't see people just sitting around like eating handfuls of walnuts or cashews obviously you can see them in every store and every uh, airport and gas station but it's still just not one of those things that's like a part of a meal or a regular snack and I think it's a wonderful thing I'll usually have almonds or walnuts pretty much every day and it's really good fats it helps lower cholesterol blood pressure all sorts of really good things walnuts are great for your brain and it's also it's one of those things that's completely stable you know it doesn't, it's not really perishable. You can have it in your car or in your desk or whatever you want and just pop a few walnuts every now and then when you're hungry and see how it helps. And then the last one, I love this. I'd save this for last, because I thought it was really funny. There was a study that said that men eat more food when they are trying to impress women. So in a woman's presence, men ate 93% more pizza than when they were on their own or with male friends. Now, this is funny because my wife is always trying to tell me to eat more because she she wants me to like gain a few pounds basically because uh, without the with, with the lack of exercise that I've had with, with the kids around and just not eating as much as I guess I used to, especially when I was training for Ironman, I've lost a few pounds and she doesn't like me skinny, so… Basically, uh, if you're trying to impress women, woman, you're going to eat more. I'm not sure if that's like a nervousness thing or you're trying to show your bravado because you can eat so much food. But um, I just thought this was a really funny study. So take note of that next time you are around a female companion that you're actually trying to impress or so maybe a date and see if you tend to order or eat more. So that's it for today. I want to thank everybody for listening and for helping to make these past 200 episodes such an incredible experience for me. I'm not going to encourage you to go back and listen to the first or second or third episode because... Quite frankly, I think they were pretty embarrassing. But the second episode was the I'm a dad episode. And here I am on the precipice about a month away from being a dad for the fourth time. And it's just interesting how things come full circle. So thank you so much for being a part of the Less Doing community. Thank you for listening and supporting and providing feedback and helping me make everyone's life more productive that I get to talk to. So I'm really excited for the things that are to come. And I hope you all have a great week. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Jeffrey Miller who is an evolutionary psychologist and co-author of Mate, uh, which is a book that he wrote with Tucker Max who's been a previous guest before. So Jeff, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, first of all, tell everybody in case they don't know, what is an evolutionary psychology, psychologist rather?
1: Evolutionary psychology is a a relatively new field. It's been around a couple decades, and we study human nature, and we think about how our ancestors back in prehistory evolved, um, what kinds of selection pressures shaped them, what they were good at doing, you know, how did they survive and reproduce and parent and live in groups. So it's really about what do all humans have? in common across cultures throughout history. It's, it's really the study of human nature and um, a lot of it focuses on sexuality.
0: It's, so now, how how what are your methods? You know, How are you able to identify that kind of interaction because obviously there's no fossil record of somebody being depressed, right? Or, yeah, right, yeah. so how, how are you able to figure that stuff out?
1: We're pretty eclectic in terms of what methods we use. So I've done everything from behavior genetic studies on, you know, this sort of evolutionary genetic basis of these instincts and preferences, using twin studies or adoption studies, to working with anthropologists to study how do some of these social and sexual instincts play out in hunter-gatherer societies, like um, current small-scale societies that live in the Amazon rainforest, for example, Um, all the way to doing online surveys or smartphone research or you know whatever the state of the art is so depending on what we're studying uh, we'll just use any any and all methods from genetics biology anthropology or psychology
0: and are do you i mean I know you just mentioned the like the rainforest for instance but do you i mean do you try to look at humanity as a whole or do you focus on regions or i mean how like how does that look
1: I mean with regard to like the mate book we're pretty focused on the American dating scene so a lot of right. the the studies that we cite are are really focused on like American college students or general American adults who are doing like a mechanical Turk survey on on Amazon or stuff like that but more generally we cast our net broadly we try to find results that replicate across cultures we try to be aware of of cross-cultural differences and you know it tr- we're trying to make it a, a properly global science
0: okay yeah and 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 was that your sort of original field of study or were you, did you do other forms of psychology
1: first I did I did other forms I mean as an undergrad at Columbia I, I really got into neuroscience for a while I got mm-hmm. into cognitive psychology the study of perception and and thinking for for quite a while. I started grad school at Stanford thinking I was going to do cognitive psychology, which was kind of a hot topic in the in the late 80s. But then I rapidly um, learned about this emerging field of evolutionary psychology and, and got passionately interested in it, decided I wanted to devote my career to it, and I've spent the last 25 years doing that.
0: So and you know before we get to the specifics of the of the new book but wh- what are what were some of the, the bigger discoveries or maybe more surprising discoveries that you feel that you've made in terms of you know how people interact and how that's changed or or how that that can apply now how that can af- inform what we do now
1: Well one one thing we found uh, that got a little bit of notoriety was There'd been previous studies about how women's ovulatory cycles influence their their mate preferences and their attractiveness, so that women just before they ovulate about halfway through the cycle about day fourteen after menstruation uh, women get more attractive in terms of their their faces their bodies their scent, their voice pitch, even things like the verbal creativity um, but we actually studied. Um, lap dancers in terms of the tips that they earned across the cycle and showed that lap dancers actually earn quite a bit more money when they're just about to ovulate than they do at other phases of the cycle. And uh, we got the, the Ig Nobel Prize in economics for that in 2008. And at one level, it was just a kind of fun, silly study. But at another level, we, we really wanted to show that these, uh, these evolutionary psychology effects, these ovulatory cycle effects, matter in terms of cold hard cash
0: yeah and and so and i I remember when that study came out actually and i was very interested in in the bigger picture there What, what what was that mainly attributed to though i mean is it that they were is it that the men i'm not sure how to like phrase this probably is it is it the the customers were more attracted because of something or was it actually that they were presenting in a more attractive way if if you understand what i'm the difference i'm making.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't exactly know. It could have been anything from, you know, the scent of their pheromones to how they were talking to the customers to to how much sexual self-confidence they had. It could have been anything. We we unfortunately weren't allowed by the human subjects committee to really dive very deeply into what was what was actually happening. Um, it, it was hard enough to get permission to do the study at all. Uh-huh. Um, So we we don't know exactly what was driving it. We're trying to do a follow-up study with uh, restaurant servers where we hope we can uh, go a little deeper into was it really physical appearance or the women's behavior or... Um, something about the kind of social chemistry that they had with their clients,
0: right? Well, so yeah, that's what I'm sort of—that's what I'm more asking about. Actually, is—is is it like, in your opinion, too? Because obviously, as you said, you couldn't get too far into the details. But is it more of like a push or a pull? That's what I'm trying to figure out. You know, was it like the pheromones were almost intoxicating, as you said, uh, and so the, the men were just giving up more money, or was their actual appearance changing? That's—I mean, yeah. So that would be really interesting to find out
1: it would it would be fascinating, I mean one thing to note is that the lap dancers in this study had an average of six years' experience, so they were true experts like any any possible <laughs> they were tenured you know yeah <laughs> almost tenured. any 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 manipulative tricks or any costumes or any dance styles that they could have learned they'd already learned, so we're pretty confident it wasn't just superficial aspects of behavior that they that they could have consciously been improving because they're already so motivated to maximize their earnings that they're using all the tricks in the book that they can.
0: Yeah, no, it's a really good setting uh, to to do that. And obviously, restaurant servers make sense. I think probably there's several sales positions that that you could argue that would make sense with.
1: um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And I'd be curious, actually, and I don't know if you looked at this as well, if, if it would have the opposite effect on the same sex. You know, so from like a, a speaking from an evolutionary point of view, like from a competitive nature, you know, if one was ovulating, if that would somehow put off other members of the same sex.
1: Yeah, that's a really good idea, Ari. And um, there is some evidence that women become more competitive within their sex when they're ovulating. Um, But we don't know how that would play out. I mean, it would certainly matter with restaurant servers if you're boosting tips from guys, but but nuking tips from women, then maybe on balance, it's, you know, it's not a benefit to be high fertility.
0: Right. You have, you have a zero sum game. So that'll make, that'll make the study really interesting. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, so what, what was something that you thought could have been actionable from that, if anything, or, you know, what, what, what can we learn from that?
1: Well, one thing we learned was that um, women who are using the contraceptive pill, you know, hormonal contraception that eliminates ovulation, were earning about fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year less than women who, who were normally cycling. So that's an example of a hidden cost to hormonal contraception that most women don't think about, but that might be economically important. Um, also, in terms of scheduling when you work, and maybe this is a more generalizable lesson for, for people, but if the women had scheduled their work shifts to stack them when they were at peak fertility rather than when they were menstruating or late luteal phase, uh, they also probably could have earned about 20% more money over the course of a year. So, generally for anybody who's, who's working at any job where your performance fluctuates, a lot maybe across the the daytime hours or across monthly cycles or or just across mood states you know it can really be worth paying attention to sort of how well am i really doing in terms of objective measures
0: okay so and this is Fantastic for me, because I, I, one of the things that I often talk about with my productivity system is how there's sort of a biorhythm or just there's different timings for people to do things. And for men, it's a little straightforward because it te- I mean, at least in my experience, from a productivity standpoint, not a psychology standpoint, it mm-hmm. tends to be pretty straightforward day to day. You know, so usually you're going to have uh, with guys that they'll have a really great uh, like they're really good at, they can do their writing really well or they can do uh, f- you know financial modeling really well at certain hours of the day and that's fairly consistent day to day but yeah. you tend to find more variations when working with women and I, I I used to get like weirder reactions when I would say this to people that there are better times of day and sometimes there are better days of the month for you to do things and it was it was almost like I was being sexist but obviously you can really use that to your advantage if you understand what what's happening
1: yeah it's empowering I mean it's 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 a sort of Darwinian feminist point that the more that women know about their own, um, their cycles and the physiology and their hormones, the more empowered they are to, to run their lives effectively and, and to compete more effectively both with other women and with men.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing you said about women being on the pill earning up to 20% less, that's, that's astounding. I mean, that's a really big deal.
1: It is. It is, and it's something that you don't, you know, you don't get warning labels on the pill saying, you know, <laughs> <this>. <laughs> you may earn less. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or, uh, or that the pill will interfere with your mate choice abilities, or might harm your your sexual attractiveness on a first date.
0: Right. Well, and so, uh, that, have, do you know? Um, have you heard of a Dr. Gordon Gallup?
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, and this, this so he. For people who don't know, he, one of the things he's a big researcher in is how the basically the chemistry of semen has mood altering effects on females and uh, essentially how to some level semen is an antidepressant. But what was interesting about that also is that women who are on the pill were essentially what happened was that women who were not on the pill and were having sexual intercourse, when they ended a relationship, they were much quicker to go back into a sexual relationship, suggesting basically like semen withdrawal is what he was putting it Mm -hmm. as. And the women who were on the pill didn't have that. uh, It was much, much longer, basically. There was a much longer period. So I I don't mean this episode with you to turn into like an (laughs) anti-birth control pill episode, but there are a lot of issues with it that I think people don't understand.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, to to be fair, there's lots of other forms of contraception, like intrauterine devices, that do not have these same side effects, and that are much more commonly used in other countries um, than in America. So, I think that the emphasis on on you know the hormonal pill is kind of an unusual American phenomenon, and th- there are other options for women out there.
0: Well, and again, I, you know, I don't mean this to be like a soapbox episode, but what, what, what is a, a sort of a what do you think is the best option for that? And in, in, in all of your research, actually, like, what is the best form, uh, the, or not the best, but I guess the the most, um,
1: the least deleterious form of contraception? Uh, I'm not an expert on this, but I would say the IUD is is, yeah, is okay. pretty solid in terms of not messing up the hormonal cycles or the ovulation itself, but still be being you know pretty reliable, um, although in terms of avoiding STIs, there's there's no substitute for condoms.
0: Right, of course, and no, and I was I was kind of expecting you to say that about IUDs, and and that that uh, like I've had uh, Dr. Sarah Godfrey on the podcast before, and that's her recommendation as well, and that mm-hmm. does that does seem to be the most sensible. The the idea. Of messing with hormones is just on any level for men and women it's just' it's, it's, it's really insane once you see what can happen to your life as a whole um, and, and what are you learning on the male side of this
1: well I mean Tucker came out with a an ebook on our Mating grounds website how to boost testosterone naturally that that covers a lot of the um, the evidence about how to use things like sleep nutrition exercise to um, to increase testosterone levels, if you want to do that, and you know, low, low testosterone is a fairly common problem that that guys have, even even pretty young guys. But again, I'm not an I'm not really an expert on right. on the hormones. So
0: no, I know. So and that's yeah. fine. I just yeah. it's, it I couldn't help but bring this up. So yeah, um, sure. all right. So
1: how did the idea for
0: mate come around?
1: Well, I met Tucker in autumn 2012. Um, I was attending a social psychology conference in Austin, Texas, where Tucker lives. And we had just gotten in touch by email um, in a couple months before that and seemed to have some common ground. He'd read my my earlier books, The Mating Mind and Spent, which is about consumer behavior. He'd really liked them. Um, he seemed to know a lot about my field, evolutionary psychology. And so we met for... Um, for dinner, got to talking about the kind of state of sex education in America and the state of advice giving to young men about, about women, sex and dating. And he said, what, like, what do you assign in your human sexuality class to help people find dates and mates more effectively? And I said, there's nothing out there really. There's a, there's a gap where there should be a good book. And he said, well, maybe we could do that. So, so we did. We, We did our best to do a book of dating advice that's evidence-based, empirical, kind of that has a lot of science in the background, but that's also very practical and actionable for young single guys.
0: So, so I was—I mean, my first question then was going to be like, who is the book for? But that's—is that really? It's meant for young single guys.
1: Yeah, young single straight guys, um, particularly in America. You know, if we ever do a translation for. France or Germany. There's a lot about the book we'd have to change cuz the the mating markets are really different there. Uh,
0: so what are some if you can share, you know, what are some of the really big insights that or or maybe some of the ones that people get wrong often in terms of dating?
1: I think the number one thing that that young men get wrong is they they don't move. They just grow up somewhere and they go to college somewhere and they kind of stick around without thinking where is the best place for me to move? geographically or socially
0: oh, that's interesting.
1: To, to get the best mating market that I can find. Um, that's probably the highest leverage piece of advice that we have in the whole book is, if you're in high school, think really carefully about where to go to college in terms of what's the sex ratio there? What What are the social and sexual norms and expectations? What's the dating culture like? How easy is it to get off campus to do fun things. A lot of guys neglect that. I certainly neglected it when I was choosing colleges. And then after college, where do you move for your first job? Don't just choose the best paying, the most interesting job, but also think, if I move there and I don't move with a girlfriend or a wife, who am I going to find there? What are they going to be like? That's really
0: interesting, actually, because uh, I I feel like I've never heard that before. I mean, it makes sense. It makes a little sense, but I've never heard that before is, you know, maybe the place that you are geographically located is not. And because a lot of people would think about that for work, right? Like, they might think, if I want to do a tech startup, I'm going to have to move to Silicon Valley. But from my understanding, Silicon Valley is a terrible place to date.
1: Terrible for men. Yeah, terrible terrible for for men. men. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, I mean, the sex ratio in, in San Jose... Um, particularly for college-educated people, is, it's wonderful for women. They have their, their pick of the litter. But for guys, it's really, really tough and competitive.
0: Well, and so where is one of the better places or one or two of the better places for a single guy to, to date?
1: Um, Manhattan, if yeah. you can afford it. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of cities in America now have about 30% more college-educated women than college-educated men. In Detroit, it's actually 70% more women than men um, who are college educated. So you can get these statistics um, to some degree from our book or from Maiden Grounds. There's a new book by John Berger called Datanomics. It's all about sex ratios that I recommend. Um, you can go to the census website. Um, if you're looking for colleges, you can, you can check out the Wikipedia entry for any given university, and it'll tell you the sex ratio. And if it's uh, lower than sixty percent women, it's not a good mating market for guys.
0: Aha. Okay. And and so then, all right. So that that's first. So now you move to the the city with the best odds, and then what?
1: And then, what neighborhood do you live in? <laughs> you know, you can you can live in a central area that's where you tend to meet people, socialize, and and uh, you know run into people. In pedestrian zones, or you can live out in some car-based suburb, where yeah, you could use online dating. You might run into people, but it's just a lot harder to to take advantage of the serendipity that you get if you uh, are on the streets of Manhattan or you know, the pedestrianized pedestrianized areas of like Boulder, Colorado, or something like that.
0: Well, and so then on that note, then where where from your research, if it showed this, where is one of the better types of venues to meet someone?
1: What we recommend is making your dating life an extension of your social life. So generally, if you're you're going out with... If you're a young guy, if you're going out with male friends or you're going out to participate in any kind of mixed-sex activity, volunteering or uh, co-ed team sports or going to CrossFit or anything like that, where you, you know, you're just... Meeting new people, you're practicing socializing, and you're expanding your social network. Anything like that would be great.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and probably where somebody would feel the most comfortable as well. Um, actually, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. I know a lot of people who've met their their spouse uh, through CrossFit. Which is funny.
1: I know it's it's an amazing kind of a sort of mating market for driven people who are in shape and who've thought pretty hard about you know what's efficient in terms of physical exercise.
0: Uh, so now I'm really actually, I always end my interviews with this question and I'm really curious to hear your your response. What, and, and you can interpret this however you like, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective?
1: Number one is know yourself, know your personality traits, know your, your mental strengths and weaknesses. And Pay close attention to advice that's really well-suited to your particular traits. So, for example, in terms of making your, your dating life an extension to your social life, a lot of our book, Mate, is geared towards guys who are not extroverts, who are not super confident socially. And we really spent a lot of energy on what could you do if you're a little bit shy, a little bit of an introvert, if you're not really comfortable in social situations, maybe if you're even on that kind of Asperger autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So if you know that about yourself, if you know I'm a little introverted and I don't like noisy, crowded places, then don't try to meet women in bars and clubs, right? It's just not going to work, no matter what the pickup artists say. Um, You need to be aware of your own um, personality traits so that you can know whose advice to take and, and how do you take it and how do you customize it to your own um, strengths and weaknesses? That, so that would be one, one, one yeah. piece of advice. Yeah. I think the second thing is don't delude yourself about why you're doing things. Um, in my earlier books, The Mating Mind and Spent, I made the case that an awful lot of what men do, particularly young single men, is actually geared towards sexual success and dating success, even if men don't know it. And that includes getting educational credentials. It includes trying to achieve status in your your work life. It includes consumer spending patterns. And I think if guys acknowledge, hey, you know what? I'm actually doing a lot of this stuff honestly to meet <laughs> women, to impress girlfriends. Yeah. And once you're aware of that, you can take the games of education and career, and consumption a little less seriously, right, and ask yourself, am I really achieving those maiden goals in the most efficient way possible, or am I just doing them in a way that kind of American society says I should do them? That's um, cool. So, I like that. You know, we're pretty critical of a lot of educational credentialism, and we say, look, you don't necessarily need to go to college to demonstrate to a woman how smart you are. D- women it, can tell how smart you are from how you talk in a few minutes.
0: Does that mean that if somebody gets married in college, they, they're more likely to drop out?
1: <laughs> well, th- it, that's, a, that's a damn good question. I don't know. Um, I don't think so, because, you know, typically Not the male would kind of want them to get the credential. <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of earning, a lot of guys think that women want them to have money because women care about the money. But there we make the point that women care more about the dedication and the the talent that it takes to be economically successful. And if you showed the dedication and the talent in some domain that isn't necessarily going to make you an amazing income, women can still respect that and feel attraction to it.
0: Great. That's great. Okay, and then the third one?
1: A third thing I think is just we have a whole – a whole chapter on aesthetic proof, which is about personal style and grooming and clothing. And I think a lot of guys really handicap themselves in that domain. They're just sexually disgusting to women. <laughs> and they don't realize it because they think, well, I don't, you know, I get haircuts and I wear clothes and what's the problem? Um, but I think a lot of people particularly in America, really handicap their effectiveness, both sexually and professionally, by not paying enough attention to how they present themselves visually, and what their kind of aesthetic taste and style are. This is something Europeans are a lot better at. So, I think that's a kind of neglected area. And, you know, there's a whole field of Darwinian aesthetics, and there's a lot of great advice about grooming and and style and clothing out there, but um most young guys are not tuned into it and they're afraid that they'll come across as as gay or metrosexual if they seem to care about this stuff and that's just crazy and self-handicapping.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because I when I was the last time I was in the dating scene was over 10 years ago and I was working in construction and, <clears throat> you know, typical Day for me was Carhartts and uh, something that was torn or burned or whatever. I wasn't, and yeah, yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. And it's funny because my wife is European. She's French, and uh, she is constantly working on my appearance because you know I work from home and I, I I don't always make the effort I should. And even even in business, not just dating, it's it is something that I think is is taken for granted, and a lot of people don't put that effort into it necessarily. And and you know we can look at. Every species there is pretty much that has some form of making themselves you know peacocks and whatnot of making themselves look big and colorful and bright and attractive, so I think that's a very good point.
1: yeah, and women actually interpret male effort as a sign of of what we call romantic proof or or conscientiousness or sort of how much effort towards them you're you're making so we we actually did a mechanical Turk survey of. 432 women rating, if a guy wore these particular shoes on a first date, what would you attribute to him? What traits would you attribute? What would you think about his sort of level of investment? And we we gave these women the top 32 best-selling shoes from zappos.com, <laughs> and they rated these, and they said, look, if a guy wears flip-flops or Crocs or sandals with socks or even athletic shoes, they interpret that as a sign, this guy's not into me, he doesn't care about the date, he's not making any effort, and that was a real turnoff.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, okay, well, those are fantastic and very unique responses, by the way, for that question for this podcast, so thank you. Thank uh, you. So, obviously, we're going to link to the book and present the book to everybody, but is there any other uh, URLs or things that you want us to, to point people towards?
1: Yeah, so mating grounds. We've got about 200 of our own podcast episodes up on there. We've got all the the references for the whole Mate book, all 1,700 suggested readings and journal papers and all that. Um, And it's a great resource um, for guys to sort of hear um, our own interviews with experts, to hear Tucker, Max, and I talking about the Mate book and its contents. And also, there's a particular guy we've been helping over the course of the last – 30-odd weeks kind of get his own life together, and those are called the Helping Joe episodes. And they're really good for for young men to sort of see how does all this advice actually play out in, in one guy's actual life in Austin, Texas.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you. We'll link to all that in the show notes, and thank you so much for your time. That was fantastic.
1: Excellent. My pleasure. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you, and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on Contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a Send Voicemail button. Click on that, and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.